I want to thank all who've gone before me already this morning. May the Lord be praised and blessed, and may your hearts be blessed as well by the things that were said in prayer in the back room this morning and what we've already heard. May we be humbled and sobered by the Word of God and look forward to what He has for us. Amen. Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. We have been working our way for about 150 sermons through the epistle to the Romans. And we have ended Romans chapter 15 with one chapter remaining. The Lord has led us now to Balaam and his prophecies. I've had great pleasure in uh, recent weeks studying the material I'm about to give you, though what I'm about to give you will be a portion of the study. I want to cover it all today, the Lord willing, and not take it into next Lord's Day. There are a couple of words in uh, these three chapters that hours were spent on that you're just going to have to trust or do some research yourself, but I hope that the explanation fits so well with the context and fits so well with what you know of the rest of Scripture that it will be easy and a cause of joy for you to understand. The Bible tells us that God's ministers are supposed to read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and give the sense and cause the hearers to understand the reading. That's Bible preaching. I have asked you to read these three chapters yourself because I'm not going to read all 96 verses to you for the sake of time. Israel didn't have Bibles in their homes. So the priest had to read the Word of God distinctly so that they could hear every individual word. And then they heard the explanation. Since you've read the words, I'll give you the explanation, the Lord helping me. Hollywood, at times, thinks that it can come up with some storylines that would be worth a $50 million or a $100 million investment by partners to produce a movie in the hopes that it might be a blockbuster. But the chapters that you read and the other passages of Scripture pertaining to Balaam are a wonderful story. And they're greater than anything Hollywood can conceive of. The drama and the, the facts of the story and the facts of Balaam's life and the lessons that can be learned from it are something Hollywood can't even comprehend. I'm thankful to be back with you this morning and I'm thankful to have the Word of God and I'm thankful for the privilege of being able to preach it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, I want to start this way about Balaam and Balak. Verse 3, an Ammonite or Moabite. Who are these two nations? These two nations are the two children of Lot by his daughters. God has a special place for them in his church. Let me read on. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when ye came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor, 
of Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam. But the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee. Because the Lord thy God loved thee. Amen. Because the Lord thy God loved thee. He does things outside your sight. He does things outside your power. He does things outside your generation. In the history of the world. For your protection and your salvation. Because the Lord thy God loved thee. And so I preach to you today about the love of God for His church. Turn with me now to the minor prophet of Micah. Jonah and Micah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah. Find the little minor prophet of Micah and the sixth chapter. And let me continue my introduction with the word of God about this man. As I have written you this week, Balaam is mentioned in ten different places by name in eight different books of the Bible, three of them being in the New Testament. And he's the events of Numbers 22 through 25 are referred to in a number of other places as Baal Peor. Micah chapter 6 verse 5. O my people, as God addresses His church, O my people... Remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. I'm preaching to you today about Balaam, that you might know the love of God for you, and that you might know the righteousness of the Lord. He defended his people. He would not let witchcraft, sorcery, enchantments, and soothsaying amount to anything against his church. But he protected them, and he turned the curse into a blessing. And the blessing is great and fabulous, and I want the emphasis to be on that in this first and second assemblies today. I don't want our emphasis to be on the talking ass. The talking ass is most hilarious. And it's in the Bible, and the Lord expects us to be amused by the conversation that entailed between Balaam and his ass. But there's so much more to Balaam and Balak and the church of God under the Old Testament. You may turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. Lord, help us to be efficient with our use of time, to lift thee up to where you belong, to rightly divide the word of truth, and to leave us this day with the horror that though you deliver us in many spectacular deliverances, and you have saved us by the star and scepter of Jacob, that we will not expose ourselves to the lusts of our flesh, to where we give up what he saved, and where we squander the grace of God by pursuing the things of this world. And I especially address all you men, and especially you young men, That you hate the women of this world and that you hate any woman that does not fear God and love the Lord Jesus Christ with an independent fear and love like the Bible describes because she will be to your ruin 
And your perversity in pursuing her will cost you your life. Numbers chapter 22. You have 96 verses in Numbers 22 through 24 about Balak and Balaam. I am going to presume that you've read them, so I don't have to refer to all these verses. Balaam's father was named Beor, and he is mentioned a number of times. And so this particular Balaam is identified by his father repeatedly in the pages of Scripture. Balaam and his father were either Syrians or Assyrians based on where they lived. They lived in a place called Pethor, that was the city, in an area called Aram, which was part of Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is the cradle of civilization. It's where the world began in the Garden of Eden. It's where the Garden of Eden was located. It was between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. As you travel north, out of Babylon, you come up the Euphrates River, and there was Pethor in Aram. Now, you are familiar with a city called Paden Aram, a place called Paden Aram, where Bethuel and Laban lived, fathers and brothers of Rebekah and Rachel. So there were people of God there that feared God in that vicinity of the world. But it was about 400 miles away from the plains of Moab, where the Israelites now find themselves in the first verse of Numbers 22. Balaam was a false prophet that used sorcery and witchcraft to bless or curse others. The Bible tells us this. I do not read the Bible looking for unconverted elect. I hope that last Lord's Day you were reminded at the end of the sixth proof of unconditional salvation that we shouldn't be looking for things on every page of Scripture like so many want to find. I can't find evidence in the Bible that Balaam was some Melchizedek that was a little confused. He's far different from Melchizedek and Jethro and other worshipers of the Lord Jehovah. The words that you read about him are not to, the words that he spoke about his relationship with God are not to be trusted because the man was a liar, the man was a flatterer, and the man was an astute negotiator in order to pad his pockets. First of all, let me show you in Numbers 22 and verse 7 that Balak sent him rewards of divination. Verse 20, verse 7 of Numbers 22. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, we have a confederacy. We have a conspiracy against Israel by two nations coming together. Let bygones be bygones. Let's get rid of Israel. Let's destroy the church of God. The elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand because he was a diviner. He was a soothsayer, as I'm about to show you. But who? what is a diviner? One who practices divination, a soothsayer, prophet, seer, a magician, sorcerer. God's prophets are not called diviners. God's prophets are called prophets. There are many Bible references I'm not going to turn you to that divination was a crime and diviners were to be put to death in Israel. Many references. Well, I'll give you one. But if that gets me in trouble, remember it at the end. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 10. Deuteronomy 18:10, there shall not be found among you anyone 
that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. I hope that's substantial and sufficient for your understanding, that you don't think of Balaam as your bosom buddy who was a little confused, he fell into sin, and you're looking forward to seeing him in heaven. You're likely to be sorely disappointed if you're looking forward to seeing him. Look at Numbers chapter 24 and verse 1, where it tells us how the first two parables that Balaam got from the Lord, when the Lord put a word in his mouth, were by enchantments. Balaam knew how to go after the Lord Jehovah. It was through enchantments. You say, well, why would God answer him? (laughs) It's the whole story. Are you going to take away the whole punchline and the conclusion of this wonderful event? I'll give you so many examples, you're going to tire of it, of God doing similar things with others in the Bible. Numbers 24, verse 1, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, that's the first two parables, to seek for enchantments. But he set his face toward the wilderness. He didn't go up into a high place of Baal and use enchantments to get a word from the Lord. I want you to notice the character of the man and what the Bible has to say about him. Now when we come over to Joshua, chapter 13, we're going to read something else about him. Remember, eight books of the Bible have reference to Balaam. We need to look at uh, Joshua 13 and verse 22. Balaam, Joshua 13, 22, Balaam, also the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. Now that tells you that the end of Balaam is that the Israelites killed him. And we'll look at some other references to that fact, and we should be thankful for that. And that's the end of all men that want to play with the Lord Jehovah. And the Lord Jehovah is with us today, and His Son Jesus Christ is with us today, and we want to fear Him and humble ourselves before Him, trust Him, and obey Him. Because all those who play with him will be destroyed. He's a soothsayer. Soothsaying is to make predictions, to foretell future events, to predict, prophesy, prognosticate. One who claims or pretends to the power of foretelling future events. Nowhere in the Bible is soothsaying recommended, commended, or are any of God's people exhorted to it, but it's one of those sins that were to be punished. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul ran into a girl that had a spirit of divination who by soothsaying made her masters much money. Now this soothsayer, this enchanter, this sorcerer, this wizard, this false prophet, he had a reputation with a king that lived 400 miles away named Balak. Balak knew... And the Bible tells us this in verse 6 of chapter 22, that Balak knew that when Balaam blessed someone or a nation, they were blessed. And when Balaam cursed, they were cursed. And someone will say to me, 
Well, that sounds like he had the power of God. Well, is that what you believe about Pharaoh's magicians? Because through their enchantments, through their enchantments, they were able to duplicate Moses. And when they could no longer duplicate Moses, they admitted, this is the finger of God. See, they weren't worshipers of God. They were worshipers of devilish spirits. And when the Lord showed Himself, they knew it was very different from what they had. I want you to remember that in Acts chapter 8, there is a rather lengthy description of a man called Simon the sorcerer. And he was perceived and believed by the people of the city of Samaria to be a man that was the great power of God because he could do things. For those of you that are close to my age, you should remember a woman named Jean Dixon who used to make forecasts and prophecies and sometimes they would come true. Back in the very early 60s or late 50s, she did prognosticate that there was a black cloud hanging over Dallas, Texas and John F. Kennedy would be assassinated on his trip there. And so she made herself a great deal of fame from that correct prophecy, but there were so many others that she made that had no fulfillment at all. And all you had to do was read her autobiography of where she got her wisdom and spirit of revelation, and it would, it'll make you, your bone, your blood run cold. She said that she was in bed praying. She was a Roman Catholic. She was in bed praying, and her window that faced the east at the rising of the sun, a snake came out of that sun and came through her window and came into her bed and wrapped himself around her. I kid you not. Go look it up, the source of Gene Dixon's ability to prophesy. It was a limited ability. God's prophets never made a mistake. She made many mistakes. But my point is, that Balak knew about Balaam's ability to curse and ability to bless, but that doesn't mean he was a prophet of God. Because the magicians of Egypt could do wonders, and so could Simon the sorcerer. Balaam was covetous and greedy for gain. And that's why he negotiated, and that's why he arranged things the way he did with Balak, and that's why he arranged things the way he did with God. That's why he would say, well, why don't you spend the night and let me go ask God again to make sure I have the right message from him about not going with you back to Moab. Because he was greedy. The Bible wants you to know that about him. Look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. This is an example of a bad minister. This is an example of a false prophet or a false teacher. In 2 Peter chapter 2, where the Apostle Peter is warning about false teachers arising in the church. Chapter 2 is all about them. And he describes them as being like natural brute beasts. And they're going to receive the reward of unrighteousness in verse 13. Their spots and blemishes in the services of the churches of the saints. Verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery. In the second half of that verse, they have a heart that is exercised with covetous practices. They're cursed children, which have forsaken the right way. Second Peter 2.15, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And while we're here, we might as well get the next verse. But was rebuked for his iniquity, 
His sin was loving cash. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was willing to do something unrighteous in order to get the paycheck associated with it. And that's why we're warned in 1 Timothy 3 twice, once for bishops and once for deacons, that they cannot be given to filthy lucre. They cannot be greedy of filthy lucre. And we're reminded of that again in Titus chapter 1. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, the perverseness of his ways to crave money to go against the will of God. The dumb ass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. He was mad in his crazy obsession and covetousness for money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And look at the evil that came out from that man. And it doesn't end with chapter 24. I hope everyone knows that. He would not go home without a reward. We can look at Jude and see the same in Jude, in its single chapter. Remember that Jude and Second Peter 2 are very similar to each other. They are fraternal twins or second cousins, whatever you want to call them in the Bible. And it's just helpful that way. If you're in Second Peter 2, you might as well check it out in Jude because Jude's warning about the same false teachers that would arise. But in verse 11, it says about these false teachers, Woe unto them! Exclamation point. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain changing the worship of God and doing violence to those that do not change with them and ran greedily. Do those words sound familiar? Ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah, the man who opposed Moses. But notice there, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And what was the error of Balaam? The error of Balaam was twofold to commit fornication with the daughters of Moab, and to eat sacrifices offered unto idols, which is in the 25th chapter of Numbers. Let's go back to Numbers 22. How could Balaam converse with Jehovah and obtain prophecies from Jehovah? I, I, you know, I'm sure you want to ask me, how could this man do the things he did and how could he say some of the things he said about his relationship with God? Well, there's no evidence beyond what I'm showing you right now and his words, which I wouldn't trust any farther than I can throw this building, about his relationship with Jehovah. There's no reason to suspect or to hope that he was like Melchizedek or Jethro, priests of God. The news of Israel... And the news of their God and what their God, Jehovah, had done to the Egyptians was not unknown. Because the nations of Canaan were terrified by the arrival of Israel on the border of Canaan. And if Balaam hadn't heard that way, which he had, then Balaam would have heard by the fact that he lived in a part of the Middle East where there were relatives of Abraham and his fathers who feared God. Do you remember why Abraham sent his servant to get a wife for Isaac from Paden Aram? Do you remember why Jacob went there? Because that's the only people on earth that they knew feared God. It was no more unusual for Balaam to prophesy from Jehovah than for his ass to speak. And that's one of the little connections that you should get. It's no no harder 
It's no more unusual. Surely, Balaam knew that none but Israel's God could curse or destroy Israel. He knew that what had happened with the plagues in Egypt was greater than the gods of Egypt. And if he was smart, he knew that the gods of Egypt were greater than his gods because Egypt was the greatest nation on earth. And yet look at what Jehovah had done to Egypt. It is not without Bible precedent for men to mingle the worship of Jehovah and idols and get results. Let me help you remember. In 2 Kings chapter 17, there was a great immigration program made by the king of Assyria. He took the ten tribes and scattered them throughout the nations under his rule. And he brought peoples from Assyria and planted them where the ten tribes had been in the Middle East. When they arrived there, 2 Kings 17 tells us this in detail. When they arrived there, they didn't know how to worship Jehovah, so they kept worshiping their pagan idols. And God sent a lot of lions, and the lions were eating them. I love to read it. It's one of those Bible stories that ought to be in a Bible story book. You know, with a child being ripped out of its crib by a lion. You say, you're so terrible. It's in the Bible. Children ought to grow up understanding what happens when you mess with God's worship. And all they were was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so there were lions. And so they sent back to the king of Assyria and said, Problem. Lions are eating us. Well, let's see if we can find a priest of all those people that I took out of you that knows something about the God of that place, Jehovah. So they found some priest. You know, he should have been in Judah at Jerusalem. But he was a wayward priest. They found him. He came back. And he taught them some of the rudiments of worshiping Jehovah. You know, he probably gave them a few feast days and a few of God's laws. And so the Bible tells us, they feared the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, they feared the Lord and served their idols. Did it work? Yes, it did. Do you know that if the world would apply a little bit of the wisdom from God's Word, it would work? Whatever is in the Word of God, if you put it into practice, even as a wicked man, it will have a tendency toward working. Because it's truth. You know, God has all sorts of different purposes, and that's why I said it has a tendency toward working. He ha- he's doing all kinds of different things at the same time. But I want to remind you of people that would worship Jehovah and then go over to their idol and worship it, and God took the lions away. The Philistine priests knew what sacrifice Jehovah wanted, didn't they? He wanted five golden hemorrhoids. Because that's what he had given the whole nation. Did King Saul once obtain the presence of Samuel with a true message from Jehovah through the witch of Endor? Did Caiaphas prophesy of salvation by Jesus Christ though he was the arch enemy of Jesus Christ in John chapter 11. Think about Judas Iscariot. If you get troubled by Balaam, get troubled about Judas. Judas preached so well. Judas was so intense in his preaching, so studied in his remembrance of what Jesus had taught him, and so powerful in performing signs and wonders, 
that when Jesus said at the Last Supper, one of you will betray me, Peter, James, and John never thought of Judas Iscariot. They thought of themselves ahead of Judas. Do you understand me? Judas is not in heaven. Judas is not an unconverted elect. Psalm 109 and about 20 verses found there say far too much about Judah, Judas Iscariot. All of these examples I give you to comfort you in what I've told you, Balaam was a false prophet. He knew about Jehovah because everyone in that part of the world knew about Jehovah, especially after Israel was delivered out of Egypt with ten plagues. The Red Sea had been dried up and they came into Canaan. Remember that the Philistines, 450 years after this event, when they're out on the battlefield and the Ark of the Covenant is brought out there and Israel shouts so loudly that the earth echoed, the Philistine military leaders said to each other, What in the world? They have never brought the Ark of Covenant into battle before. This is the God that destroyed Egypt. 500 years later. I want you to understand that Balaam knew about Jehovah, but he went to Jehovah with enchantments because he was a witch and he used witchcraft and he was a sorcerer. He was a soothsayer using enchantments to approach God. What should we know about Balaam and his ass? Let's get this over with. And I don't mean that in any... Listen, I love the story. I could hear it for a hundred times and I would still laugh on times 98, 99, and 100 about this man and his ass. You may wonder, why did God tell him he couldn't go, and then God told him he could go, and then when he did go, God got angry at him? Because God told him he couldn't go, and that was the will of God. And it was Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12, God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And so he sent them away, but they came back with greater gifts than they had before. And Balaam says, well, I need to go ask the Lord what his will is in the matter. Balaam already knew what the Lord's will was in the matter. Balaam is showing his perverse heart. There's two issues at stake. One, Balaam wanted the money. The Bible tells us that repeatedly. Balaam wanted the money, and he tried in every way possible to convince God to change his mind. And God doesn't appreciate you trying to change his mind. God wants you to believe what he said and obey it. First. Second, when God saw this obstinance on his part, and you do not want to show God such obstinance, or he may well give you what you are looking for to your ruin. Israel lusted after quail. But in Psalm 106, it says God gave them quail to their fill, killing many while it was still in their mouths, but sent leanness into their souls. God may give you what you want to your destruction. Therefore, you should only want what God wants for you. And to be very careful about that. Second, God laid a condition upon Balaam. And it's in verse 20. If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that thou shalt do. And verse 21 just says, Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass. That was close enough. 
The Lord said I could go with them as long as they asked me. Well, hey, they're here. That's as good as asking me. I'm going to go with them. That's the situation. He flunked on two points. One, he craved the money. Two, he didn't meet the condition. So the Lord was angry with him for going, though you may think that God had given him permission. God had not truly given him permission any more than God had given quail to Israel out of the goodness of his heart. Let me give you some more examples. Were there some great men of God that pushed God until He allowed them to be polygamous and have multiple wives? Did God allow that? Was it the will of God? Does the Bible plainly state that it was not the will of God? Does it state that in Genesis chapter 2? Does it state it in Malachi chapter 2? Yes, in both places. Did they think they had it made in the shade for a while? Or should I say, did they think they had it made under the sheets for a while? Did it work? Every family with multiple wives turned out to be a mess in the Bible. But notice, God allowed it. God didn't crush them. God didn't call it adultery. He did have some rules regulating it. But it's to point out that when you want something contrary to God's Word, He may allow you to get it to your ruin. And so Balaam got to go to his ruin because he was going against the will of God. Well, what did God do? God sent the angel of the Lord to stop him. And verse 22 tells us that the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. And he was riding upon his ass and he had two servants. Now this ass saw the angel of the Lord. And you can read throughout the pages of Scripture that when someone sees an angel of the Lord, it's a pretty impressive sight. Men will fall on their faces as if, as if they were dead when they see the angel of the Lord. Well, first of, first off, instead of following the street out to the entrance ramp to the highway, the ass takes off into a field. And so Balaam smites it the first time because the ass isn't going to go down the road. He just goes off into a field. Now this ass has taken this particular route many times. He's been good transportation for Balaam for a long time, as she's about to tell us. And so Balaam smites her. Then the angel of the Lord moves into a place in this vineyard where there's a wall on the left and the right. And if you've ever ridden a horse, one of the worst things is when they brush a tree and your leg's in the way. When they brush a tree and your leg's hanging over that, it hurts. And so this ass crushes his foot against the wall. Because the ass does not want to go forward because the angel of the Lord is standing there with a drawn sword. So Balaam smites his ass again. Then the angel of the Lord positioned himself in a way where the ass had nowhere to go. Couldn't go left, couldn't go right. And so she just fell down. Bang. You know, the tires come off your bicycle. And you're sitting on the ground on your ass. And a conversation ensues that is worth reading, and children ought to rejoice. I hope my brother can remember the Bible story book and the picture that is in our minds for this particular event. Verse 28, And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. How much do you trust the power of the God you worship? Can he open the mouth of an ass? Does the ass need to go to school? Does the ass need a translator? Does it use Google Translate to get from ass language into Hebrew or any other language? 
It's just wonderful. The Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? Now, if you heard your ass speaking to you, would it cause you to pause just a little bit? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, he doesn't mention leaving the street, crushing my foot, or falling down under me. He's responding in kind. Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass? I want you to understand these are the words of the Holy Ghost. They are hilarious. Am not I thine ass? Upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto thee? Did I ever want to kill you? Balaam said, no. Oh, brethren. This is good stuff in the Word of God. And he said, nay. No, I know you haven't wanted to kill me, but I want to kill you for talking to me like this. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. He bowed down his head and fell flat in his face because all men do that when they see an angel of the Lord. And the angel said unto Balaam in verse 32, Wherefore hast thou smitten mine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. Oh, I love that. If that ass hadn't saved your life, Balaam, I'd have killed you and kept her alive. She'd have been my ass. This is the Lord speaking to Balaam. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, Now watch this man. I have sinned. In doing what? In smiting his ass. I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. He is not backtracking that he's going against the will of God stated to him in verse 12. He is just backtracking to smiting his ass. Now therefore, now watch this, now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. Hello? If it displease thee? It did displease the Lord. That's why he was angry and sent the angel of the Lord and why he called his ways perverse. But here's Balaam continually wanting, continuing to try to do what he wants to do rather than what God wants him to do. Do you remember Lot coming out of the city of Sodom? And the angels say, we have got to escape to the mountains. You must escape to the mountains. And Lot says, oh, no, no, please, please don't make me go to the mountains. Look at this little town right here. Can't I go into this little... You ought to read your Bibles and see. It's just a little town. Once you give place to sin in your life, you will try to defend it, try to excuse it, try to keep it because you enjoy it. And we want to repudiate it. And we want to rip it out. We want to tear it down. We want to cut its head off. We want to destroy it. That's enough about Balaam and his ass. You know the story. God gives him permission, so he goes and he meets Balak. Balak comes to the far corner of Moab to meet him. He is so excited when the runners get there early and tell him that Balaam is on his way. And he agrees 
to do whatever Balaam wants to do. And so Balaam says, well, I need seven altars, and I want seven bullocks, and I want seven rams offered. And they went up into a high place because Balak wanted Balaam to see the extent of Israel, the whole nation. And you know, he blessed them. And we're going to look at everything that's in the blessings shortly. And Balak says, wait a minute. I hired you and called you to curse them, and you've altogether blessed them. Let's try a different place. And so they go to a second place, seven altars, seven bullocks, seven rams. Balaam goes up into a high place of Baal, uses his enchantments to connect with Jehovah, and Jehovah puts a word in his mouth. He comes back down, and he opens his mouth, and out flies the word, and the word is more blessing upon Israel. Right. Now Balak's somewhere between homicidal and suicidal, because what he's hearing is the increase of Israel and the ruin of Moab. And he wants to, he, he wouldn't mind killing Balaam for what he's doing because he's blessing this nation that he wanted cursed. As if Israel already needed more blessings since they had destroyed the nation of Egypt and come through a Red Sea on dry ground. Well, now Balaam realizes that this Lord Jehovah only wants to bless Israel. So he's not even going to try his enchantments anymore. 24 and verse 1. He just sets his face toward the wilderness and the Spirit of God came upon him and the Spirit of God can come upon an ass or King Saul or Judas or anyone else. It's proof of nothing. The gifts of the charismatics are proof of nothing. They want to prove eternal life by the fact that sometimes when they come up out of the waters of baptism, they speak in tongues. That is no gift. I mean, that is no proof of eternal life. The proof of eternal life is what I have taught you consistently and still do today. Add to your faith virtue and your virtue knowledge, godliness, patience, temperance, brotherly kindness, and charity. It's by good works that we lay hold of eternal life and prove that we have it. So Balaam opens his mouth, and I want to tell you, every time Balaam opens his mouth, the prophecies get a little longer, they get a little higher, they get a little more glorious. It's really good. Now, Balaam, Balak, excuse me, Balak is very upset after the third episode. And he smites his hands together and he says, get out of here and go home. Look what you've done to me. This is in chapter 24. I wanted you to curse, but you've blessed. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. And Balaam said, I told you that this is the way it was going to be. I was only going to say what God gave me to say. But before I go, I'd like to tell you what this people is going to do to your people in the latter days. Oh, sweet. Please, I hope you enjoyed reading the Word of God. Before I go, I've got a freebie to give you. I don't need altars this time. I have a few things to say to you. And oh, do we get a good prophecy there. It's number four. The word parable is used seven times. There is some obscurity in these words, and I love the fact that the Holy Spirit recorded from Balaam's mouth that they were parables seven times as a warning to us. And then he finished in verse 24 of this 24th chapter. And then it says, Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. But something happened before verse 25 that is given to us in detail in other places. Right. Before verse 25. What did did Balaam do 
to help Balak against Israel when he could not curse. Here is where you should really grasp the real character of this wicked man. And here is where you should grasp the love of money is the root of all evil. Balaam told Balak, if you want to get the Lord Jehovah against Israel and to curse them, then use your women for sex to invite them for sex to come and worship your idols. You say, well, I don't read it there. So how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us that in several places. The the inspired historian can lay out the, the record the way he chooses to lay it out. Because the very next three verses look this way. Numbers 25. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Israelites worshiping Moabite gods for sex. That's the whoredom of verse 1. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. Now Peor is one of the mountains where Balak took Balaam. It's right there. Balaam explained because Baal Peor was Baal's sex worship. And I'm not even going to take you down that road. It's not worth going down. Horrible things by pagan religions in the component of their religion dedicated to sex worship. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. They joined the sex-worshipping segment of Baal worship of the Moabites, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And hopefully you know this story that Moses said to his judges that were over the nation, I want you to find every man that's joined himself to Baal Peor and hang him up before the Lord. I want the Lord to see their bodies dangling. And then one of these Israelite men grabbed a Midianite woman, one of these women that had offered their bodies for sex to get the Israelites to worship their false gods. It's described here in Phinehas. Rises up. He doesn't believe in prayer meetings when there's sin going on right in front of your face. He grabs a javelin and goes into the tent and impales both of these fornicating people. And the Lord loved Phinehas for that and blessed him. And that's what Numbers chapter 25 is about. Now, let's prove to you that what Balaam did. Look at Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. Numbers 25 is about what the Moabitish and Midianitish women did to seduce the men of Israel. Then several chapters intervene. Chapter 26 and verse 1 starts off this way. Well, God tells Moses to go and and judge the nation of Midian for what they did. And there's a couple chapters here of some feast information stuck in, and they went and did it in verse 31. Chapter 31. Chapter 31 of Numbers. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterward shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. Do you understand these events took place just before Israel went into the land of Canaan? Very shortly before, 40 years after they came out of Egypt. And so they go and vex the uh, Midianites. They just took a thousand from each tribe, but the 12,000 men with God's blessing were more than enough. And they wiped out the men of Midian and they brought back the children and the women. You want to, you want to see uh, Moses' response? Verse 15. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? 
That's how it should be read. Have ye saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones. All the little boy babies are to be killed. And kill every woman that hath known man by lying with him. But all the women children that have not known a man by lying with him, keep alive for yourselves. There was quite an anatomical examination made that day in the spur of the moment by the military men of Israel to get rid of every woman that wasn't a virgin from Moab. But notice Moses' anger that they had preserved these women because it was women. It was women that were the downfall of Israel when Balaam couldn't bring them down. Though Balak and Balaam tried, then they tried again, then they tried a third time. Balak and Balaam couldn't bring Israel down, but Israel can bring itself down by playing around with women. And every one of you young men, I know everything about being a young man. You have no desires, urges, or lusts that I and the other older men of this church didn't have or that don't have. We understand. But you better fear and hate women that do not fear God and love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to live by His Bible and are pure and chaste and holy and virtuous and noble. They will ruin you. And God may let you have one to ruin you. Look at Revelation 2.14. All the way over to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. Did you see that it was Balaam's counsel in the matter of Baal Peor? For those women of Moab to go offer their bodies. And you know what? There's young men that find some girl that they like. And she's warm and she's voluptuous. And she's friendly and she's attractive. And she dresses seductively like everyone dresses nowadays. And she says, I love you. I love you. Basically saying, what I have is yours, but I just can't go to your church. It's just a little too strict for me. And you have found yourself a daughter of Moab. Right. I've seen it. I've heard it. And I've watched the boys and men ruined by it. Revelation 2.14 Jesus Christ speaking about the church at Pergamos, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Do you understand now? Balaam got his paycheck. How did Balaam get his paycheck? He told Balak, if you'll use your women to seduce the Israelite men and get them involved in the worship of your church and get them coming to your church, God will destroy them because that will be a curse upon them. They will bring the curse on themselves. Try it. I promise you it will work. He's a holy God. He's a just God. 24,000 died. Okay. We're back to uh, Numbers chapter 24. Other places can be raised. This Baal Peor is mentioned a number of times throughout the Bible. Not even in the, not even in the references about Balaam. 
those ten references where he's mentioned by name in eight books of the Bible, there are numerous other references to this event of Baal Peor and women seducing away the men of Israel into false worship. And how many have done that? Because they loved a woman. They compromised their convictions. They compromised their doctrine. They compromised the church they went to for a woman. The devil uses tools like that. He used Eve on Adam. He used Pharaoh's daughter on Solomon. Lord, have mercy upon us and help us. I don't want this particular point to be lost at all. What was Balaam's end? Well, let's look at the Numbers 31. It's only a few pages away. Numbers 31. Remember, verse 8 is the verse that taught us. Nope, verse 8 is the, one, is the verse that teaches us when he died. Verse 16 is the verse that taught us that uh, it was Balaam that gave counsel to Balak about fornication and getting them to worship the gods of the Moabites. Verse 8, And they slew, this is the 12,000 men sent out, they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely, Evi and Rechem and Zer and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. Balaam also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. So though he had gone home, he came back again, and he was part of the Midianite elders and part of their military and army that went up against Israel, and he lost his life. Though the history is unusual and though the history is long ago, we all face similar choices to Balaam. Every day of our lives, you might reason with the Lord, are you sure that's what he wants? Can I fudge it a little bit? And God may let you do what you desire, and it will be to your ruin. Trust God at His Word, defined by His Word, humbly before Him, calling on the Holy Spirit to show you what His commandments are and keep them. Though the history is unusual and though it's long ago, friends and sex have corrupted many. May God save us from that. We have seen it. Remember this story and go past the talking ass. The talking ass is such a small part of it. When we come back after break, we will take up the four prophecies and go through them quickly. They are wonderful. God opened the mouth of this sorcerer, this soothsayer, and he poured out wonderful things for the church of God that extend right to us today. Because we know the star and scepter that came out of Jacob. He is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has won a great victory for us of a far greater confederacy and conspiracy and collusion than this was the devil himself. And we shall celebrate that around his table. I trust that the preaching of his word thus far has been useful for your souls. In Jesus' name, amen.